Father, thank You for this time together this morning. As we welcome You into our presence, we say thank You. We say thank You for all that You have done and for all that You are doing and for all that You will do. This morning, Lord, I ask that You would open up the eyes of our heart that we might see and hear from Your Word. I pray that You would touch us and that You would transform us, that we might be made into the likeness and the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Your name we pray all of these things. Amen. We are continuing our study on basic training. And last week we looked, of course, at God and the Trinity. We looked at Scripture and creation as basics of understanding our faith. And One of the reasons we're doing this, you may say, well, I already know the basics. I got those down. But the real truth of it is there are probably some things, questions I could ask you that even we'll share today that maybe you wouldn't be able to uh, accurately or at least articulately be able to describe or to communicate. And because of this, a lot of times we see cults uh, will typically use people who have just a little bit of knowledge of Bible and maybe just a little bit of background, but they say some things, and because we're not well-studied or because folks are not well-studied, are well indoctrinated, if you want to use that terminology. They say things that sound right and sound like something I've heard, and the next thing you know, you've kind of bought into it. Now, there are a lot of different organizations that their intention is probably not one of which they mean harm, but the truth is they're nevertheless distorted. <clears throat> Typically, with Jehovah Witnesses, this is the case, uh, because they will take a position where they believe in God, but when they say God, they don't mean Jesus. They don't mean the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in the Trinity, as we talked about it last week. When we say God, we mean Jesus. We mean the Father. We mean the Holy Spirit. That's what we mean when we say God. They believe that Jesus Christ is a created being and that He first came about simply on this earth that He is not one to be prayed to. He is no more than an angel. He is not to be certainly worshipped. The Holy Spirit's not a person, but simply an active force like gravity or electricity. Heaven is only the hope for a select few. Matter of fact, 144,000 people. And so, and not only that, but it is the only church, the only denomination or the only belief system that people will be allowed into heaven. Now, most of these folks can take Scripture and quote Scriptures and use Scriptures. And if we don't understand the basics of our faith, we can be misled. And I think it's important that we understand what are the basics of the faith. And again, last week we talked about God, we talked about Scripture, and we talked about creation. Today I want us to start with sin. Sin, that which keeps us from God, the barrier which keeps us from having complete community and complete relationship with God. There has to be something done, and we'll talk about how God has translated to us how we might know Him and how we might deal with a condition called sin. Now, before we do that, I want to read to you uh, the Apostle, not the Apostles' Creed, but the Nicene Creed. And we did this last week, and there's certainly some words 
that we used in the Apostles' Creed and in the Nicene Creed that we might not use in everyday language. And so I want to explain those to you as we go through them. So I'm going to put this up on the screen for you, and I'll let you look at it. This statement was made in response to uh, heresies, much like I was talking to you before, people who had a semblance of godliness, who would speak some Scripture and some truth, but yet were denying the power within. Matter of fact, uh, there were two issues at hand. One was Gnosticism, which is why the Apostles' Creed was primarily written. But then the Nicene Creed, for those who would not, uh, who sought to uh, basically take away the power of Jesus Christ, to deny His deity and say that He was simply a good man. This statement was written by our early church fathers, uh, and it is meant not to be a comprehensive uh, statement of the faith, but to address some of the issues that were being dealt with in that day and age. And quite frankly, we're still dealing with that. You, how many times you hear people say, I believe Jesus was a great man. I believe He was a great prophet. But when you say that Jesus was God, then there comes the difference. Then sometimes the fangs come out at that point. The Nicene Creed addressed just that. Let me read it to you and you, you follow along. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Now, that word begotten means this. It's not just being born. It means that it comes from the essence of God. So, in other words, it was not created, but it comes from the essence of God. And that's what we believe about the Son. It continues on. Through Him, excuse me, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit, and He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. That word incarnate, that's not an everyday word that we use. It simply means the embodiment of flesh. God embodied flesh. God became flesh. God became human. He took upon Him the flesh of man so that we might know Him and relate to Him in a personal manner here while He was on this earth and then make the sacrifice, of which we will talk more about later. On the third, For our sake He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day He rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now, that word Catholic, let's start right there. That word Catholic, if you will notice, it's with a little c. And if you notice, when we do the Apostles' Creed, sometimes our church we don't say the word Catholic. And the reason I don't is because I don't want to do every sermon. Every time we do that, I don't explain to you what Catholic means, quite frankly. Uh, the word Catholic means universal. Okay, We have local congregations and, uh, of Christians, but then there's the church universal, which consists of all believers in Christ, all who call themselves Christians. And that's what we mean when we say Catholic. Okay, The church as a whole, all believers around the world. So when we say the word Catholic, we're not speaking about the Catholic Church, we're talking about all believers. We're talking about the church universal, okay? So apostolic, that simply means dating back to the teachings of the apostles, the original teachings 
of the Scriptures. We acknowledge one baptism, which is the initial baptism that we have when we come into salvation, and for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and of life of the world to come. So there's a statement. And uh, when we recite that, you can understand what some of those words mean. If you have further questions, I'd be happy to answer those for you. But let's continue uh, as we see this, com- this more exhaustive statement. Let's look and dwell down or dig down a little bit deeper. What about sin? One of the major uh, characteristics and major aspects of our faith is understanding what sin is. Sin is this. It's missing the mark. It means anything that I knowingly or unknowingly do that discredits God or goes in disobedience to His Word. So uh, sometimes I sin not meaning to sin, and sometimes I mean to sin. Either way, it's sin. It's falling short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us. Well, if that's true, how did that come about? Well, there's original sin, of course, that we see in the Bible. And we see how Adam fell, how Adam sinned, and how now we each have a sin nature. So sin to begin with is historical. The original sin is historical. Secondly, it's biological. It's passed down uh, to our, in our genes, so to speak, to our offspring. Nobody ever had, I, I didn't have to teach my son um, how to bis- be disobedient. I didn't have to teach him to say, mine, mine, it's mine. I didn't have to teach him to sometimes not do what I say, okay? He has a natural nature to do that. He can just do it instinctively, okay? It's, so it's historical, it's biological, and it's continual. Even after we accept Christ, we continue to struggle and be tempted by sin. So we recognize that. Now, where does sin come from? Well, it comes from the evil one. It comes from Satan. And there are numerous titles that are given uh, to Satan in Scripture. But we'll call it, at this time, we, when I say Satan, when I say devil, when I say evil, I'm meaning the same thing. We know that Satan has demons, and uh, they were fallen angels. And there are those who seek to, uh, as the Bible says in John 10, to kill, steal, and destroy. We know from Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness. So what does that mean? Well, that means that on one side, we have the Spirit of God Almighty, who is perfect and sinless and holy. And on the other side, we have that which is evil, okay? That which desires to pull us away from God Almighty, whether we know Him or whether we don't know Him. So there are always going to be two influences in our lives. Now, I don't necessarily like the little picture that sometimes the cartoon says that, you know, there's a little angel and there's a little devil right here. But on, on one level, uh, there, there's some truth to that because the Spirit of God is always going to be drawing us and speaking to us. But there's also going to be another voice, and we know that. And so it's important that we recognize. Now, this is another sermon of the day. Also, the Antichrist, which uh, Antichrist is given to us, by the way, four times in Scripture. It's all found in the book of First John and then uh, one time in the book of Second John. And the word simply means this. It means Antichrist. It means instead of Christ, false Christ, another message, an, a, a, not the truth. That's probably the best way to understand it. There's a message that's not true that's going to be spoken to you. Now, Satan, though, is limited in his scope of power. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent, as we talked about uh, last week, that God is. God's omniscient. He knows everything, knows what's happened, what's happening, and what will happen. He has the power and the sovereignty to do as he freely chooses. But Satan is held in 
uh, in a boundary, so to speak, in certain parameters. Now, we have a little diagram I want to show you up here for just a moment. A lot of times we'll say, you know, the world's after me, Satan's after me, and the flesh is after me. And reality is, is Satan is under uh, a system, okay, the world system. Now, when you look in Scripture, I want to read three different Scriptures to you. Sometimes you see the world used in different ways and in different manners. Uh, in Acts 17:24, God made the physical world, the world, the universe that we know, and that's one particular Greek word that's used sometimes. World in John 3:16, uh, for God so loved the world. He's talking about mankind in that instance. But uh, most of the time, as in 1 John uh, chapter 2 verses 15 and 16, and uh, chapter 5 verse 19, when he speaks of the world, he's using a completely different word, and it's the system of the world. And this is how it works. You've got the spirit of evil, Satan, here, okay? And the way that he works is he works through the world system, okay? The world. When we say the world in that, again, we're not talking about mankind and we're not talking about the universe. We're talking about the system in which we live. And what is that system? Well, it's a system that has a completely different set of values than the Spirit of God. God's Spirit is this. What is right? What is true? What is holy? The world system is this. Basically, I can give it to you in three. It's power, sex, and money. That's what I want you to value. And just about everything else can kind of fall under one of those. You can say pride, lust, whatever you want to come, but we can all come under those three. And then let me say, these three things aren't bad as entities themselves, but when that becomes your primary value and motivator for life, when that becomes what moves you and what your purpose in life becomes, then you've fallen into the world system, which is what? Influenced by Satan. Okay? That's the way that he works. So he works in that manner. And how does he do it? Well, he sets up a culture and a world where that's what's valued. All you got to do is turn on the television. You can go home today, turn on the television, and you'll see uh, commercials. You'll see movies that send that message. Whatever you do, make sure you satisfy your lust. I mean, that's literally part of the message that's being communicated. Where's that coming from? It's not coming from the Word of God. It's coming from the world system. It's coming what Satan influences in the world and says, this is life. This is what it is. This is what you want to get. This is what you want to go for. Regardless if it costs you your family, your integrity, whatever it costs, this is where you want to go. So it influences our flesh, which influences us as Christians or non-Christians. We're going to buy into one of these sets of values. And often, uh, often we, we are struggling between both as believers, aren't we? So that's why, and I won't go back to the little elementary sermon about what we put in our minds and what we watch and all that good stuff, but let's just be honest. If this is what I'm watching and this is what I'm intaking, it will start to affect the values that I possess. It will start to affect how I respond. And according to Ephesians chapter 6, let's just turn that one right there. Let's just read Ephesians 6. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Galatians, Ephesians... Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians chapter 6. If you need a Bible, there's one right there in front of you underneath the pew. Under the pew. We don't have pews. Uh, underneath the chair. And let's start with verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You see that right there? We were talking about it's not the flesh, it's the system of Satan, okay? It's not against flesh and and blood, as we continue here, but against rulers and against the authorities and against the powers 
of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. And then he tells us to put on the armor of Christ. So, we see that when we are wrestling, it's not just a, it's not just a matter of, you know, I just, I'm just, I just need to be a little bit more disciplined. There's more going on than that. You recognize there's a value system and there's a message being sent to you that is the antithesis of what God desires in our life. And then there's the Word of Truth. There's the Scripture. There's God Almighty. Okay? So those spirits are constantly going to be warning. And the Bible tells us that it's a continual war. Okay? There's a continual struggle. And so the way that we combat that... As a matter of fact, if you looked in Second Peter chapter 5, you would see, uh, you'd see he said... Basically, the, the Satan comes as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he says, resist him. Well, how do I resist him? By keeping my mind and my heart pure, by taking upon the armor of Christ, the Word of God, and still. That's why it's so important that you have a time each day that you specifically set a time to pray and to look and to read the Word of God so that you may be filling your spirit with the armor of God. You may be filling your spirit with the Spirit of God that you may be able to withstand the darts of the devil. Does that make sense? So we see how he works. We see how he comes. And it's not... So many times I think, it, you know, this whole mentality of devil made me do it. Well, no, you chose. Yeah, the devil is tempting, but he ain't making you do nothing. Okay? You are choosing that system. You are choosing to let him pollute your mind in that manner. All right, let's continue on. And as we go on, we see that uh, believers and unbelievers... How are unbelievers affected? Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3, verses 18 through 23, as Jesus uh, explains the parable of the seeds and the sower, that He blinds their minds to the understanding of the gospel, that it just doesn't make sense to them. And sometimes when they hear it and understand, then He gets them to focus on other things and pulls them away. And then according to Revelation chapter 2, He uses persecution and false religions, false beliefs. Jesus, number two, as we look at the second basic of the day, Jesus is the answer of how we are to, how we are to deal with the sin, how we are to deal with the aspect of how we cannot know a perfect and holy God without the forgiveness of our sin. Jesus came upon this earth. And let me give you a big word um, that you'll probably forget when you leave here, but here's a big theological term for you. It's called the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. And it simply means this, that Jesus was fully God and Jesus was fully man. He was God and He came to earth and He was born of the Virgin Mary and came to earth and took upon humanness. So He's still fully God, but then He takes the full scope of of humanity upon Him so that He might feel, that He might see, that He might sense, that He might understand the temptations, that He has been there, and that He might take the sacrifice of the world upon Himself, being that perfect and sinless Lamb that was required. There was a day of atonement in the Jewish sacrificial system that was commanded in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament that were to cover the sins of their people, but every year it had to be repeated. Now, Jesus, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, paid that price once and for all because He was perfect and sinless and holy. So He was fully God, fully man. It's a big deal. Again, guys, when people ask you and they say, I believe the same thing, and they're coming from a different background of which they do not ascribe to Jesus deity. And when I say deity, being God in the flesh... That's a huge issue because if we don't believe anything, we have to believe as Christians that Jesus 
is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Big deal, big difference. As we continue on, why did He have to atone? Because He was the only one who could be our substitute, according to Romans chapter 5. He had to be the sacrifice, according to John chapter 1. And He redeemed us, according to Galatians chapter 3, by paying the price and the curse of our sin. Now, let me give you a very crude example. or Not crude, that's probably the wrong road. Let me give you a, a, a bad example. Uh, just try to understand this in our vernacular today. If you have a teenage son or daughter, 16, 17 years old, and they take the car out, and they run a red light, they run into another car, and they cause a lot of damage, a lot of money. Okay? There's a, there's a problem right there because they don't have the funds probably. I mean, they probably hadn't been saving their allowance since they were about six months old and, and investing it properly at this point. So they don't have enough money to cover that. So what has to happen? Well, you have to go down to the courthouse with them, and you probably will have to write a check and pay the penalty yourself because they're not capable of paying it themselves. But yet they're guilty, so there has to be a substitution. And then you have to sacrificially write out of your check so that you can pay the penalty. Well, that's a picture. Now, it's a bad picture because uh, the, the bad part of it is it's because you make mistakes too. Okay, so that's why I say it's not a good illustration. But you get the picture of what has to happen for one who cannot cover the cost. Someone has to do it. Same thing is true because God said in His Word, there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. There had to be a sacrifice offered to pay for the penalty of sin because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so we know that Jesus is who He claims to be because of the resurrection, because He conquered death through the cross, through the grave, but then He rose again on the third day, which provides the salvation, the good news, the hope of the gospel that's been given to us that we can receive by faith. The Bible tells us what in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that whoever would believeth, that word believeth there is pisteo in the Greek. It means to commit. Whoever would make the commitment to God, make the commitment, transfer their trust from what you could do. I'm good enough. Uh, I believe I'm better than most people. I can handle it. To God, I recognize I'm a sinner and I in no way can save myself and I ask for your forgiveness. I ask you to come in and save me. Now, I want to give you a very simple, most of you are familiar with this, but a very simple understanding of the gospel called the Romans Road. And I'm just going to use four verses for this, the Romans Road. And if you don't know this, I encourage you to write this down. Uh, and this is just a good little road to understanding salvation. It starts again uh, with Romans 3.23. What does Romans 3.23 says? It says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us right there, we're all sinners. And until we can come to that place where we recognize that, quite frankly, we can't be saved. We can't know forgiveness. So we have to recognize that we're sinners. Number two, Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Bible tells us right there that there's the cost of sin. It's death. There had to be a death that occurred. It will either be our death or we could take the substitutionary atonement. Remember, we use that word substitution. Atonement means covering. The covering of Christ, which covers us by the transfer of our faith to what Christ has done for us on the cross and receiving His grace and forgiveness. So, the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Next scripture, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated His love to us that while we were still sinners, 
In other words, when you had not come to that point where you were ready to receive Him, Christ died for us. But God demonstrated His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Recognizing that He loved us so much that He paid that price while we were still sinners. And fourthly, the Bible tells us this is in Romans 10.9, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you shall be saved. It's a confession. It's a commitment. And then the connection. It's what Jesus Christ has done for us through the process of His sacrifice. He has offered us salvation. And lastly, the church. The church purpose of the church, and when I say church, I'm talking about the fellowship and the community of believers. Our mission here at Rock Point and the mission uh, of the church is this, uh, to love God with all that we are while making more and better followers of Christ. Now, that's an abbreviated version of the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, as we so often talk about. Loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and then therefore go, go for and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we have mission churches. That's why Daniel, we send people out like Daniel to start churches in areas that need churches because we believe that that's what God has commanded us to do, to go for. That's why we've adopted a country in Africa, excuse me, a community in Africa uh, that has no evangelical work, no, no church at all other than uh, Islamic churches. And we've started one there. That's why we're doing clean water in Africa. That's why we're in part of the missions that we have because God has asked us to go and to make an impact. It's one of the primary purposes of the church. But also, with a heart, we come together in communion and prayer. And we do that on Sunday mornings. We do that at uh, the prayer times throughout the week. We had a time where we prayed over one of our families this week, and then we'll pray at the end of this service in just a moment uh, for one of our families because we believe that's one of the things God has called us to do. So we love God with our heart. We love God with our soul, as we just talked about the importance of baptism and missions, of sharing our faith and telling people the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, so that they might know life and know the forgiveness of sins. And then lastly, we teach the Word of God, teaching with our minds, loving God with our hearts, loving God with our soul, and loving God with our minds through the teaching of the Word of God. 